Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to season one, episode seven of our brand new podcast, Learning from Our Legends. I'm Leila. And I'm Lena. And we're your hosts. And today we are going to be covering the third of our four best women of Paradise series. Inshallah. I was actually telling Layla it's mad. We're nearly done with our season one. Yeah, and honestly, it's just been a bit of a roller coaster. Um, the biggest thing is learning how to operate this whole podcast equipment. Yeah. Um, and editing. Neither of us are women in STEM. <laughs> but when we're doing this, I actually feel like one, I can't lie. Yeah, and inshallah, we're going to improve. So season two is going to be better. Yep, inshallah. So today's episode is called Mayam Bint Amran. And yeah, this one's a very interesting one. It is. I feel like we learn a lot. We learn a lot from all of them, but I think we learn a lot from her and her family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually, I think there's a few, like, when we when we were doing research for this, I was like, I thought a lot of her virtues and her story came from the fact that she was Isa alayhi salam's mom. Yeah. And actually, um, one of the videos we were watching, um, the sheikh said that, she's mentioned more than Anita Islam and she's mentioned separately to him because it's like she is very much her own person there's a reason why there's a story named after her yeah. and that she's the only woman she's the only woman in the Quran directly called, called by her name is yeah. she? I don't think there's any other like women named in the Quran like there's definitely women like referred to and stuff but even if you think of like the wife of Pharaoh she's literally called the wife of Pharaoh Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, that's amazing, actually. So, that I think that is the single girl name in the Quran. Well, at the very least, it's the single woman's name in the Quran, which there's a surah named after. After her, yeah. So, Maryam was born into the family of Imran and Hannah, And they were both known as, like, really righteous, pious believers. Um, she was also born in Aqsa. Yeah. And I think it was her uncle. Her uncle was called Zakaria. Yes. And he ends up we go in a, we go into it a bit more, but he does end up caring for Maryam. Yeah. Majority of the scholars from what I've touched on mm-hmm. mention that he was married to her sister, Maria. Uh Maryam's mother's sister. Yes. Okay. I'm so sorry for confusing you. <laughs> so basically some scholars say that she was he was married to Hannah's sister, her aunt. Yeah. And I think her name was Ashia. Yeah, and, and Maryam, السلام, she was known as like a pure woman and a woman who guarded her chastity. And it actually comes up twice in the Quran, um, or at least twice that I found here. The first one I found was Surah Al-Hajj, where it says, وَمَرْيَمْ أَبْنَةَ عَمْرَانَ الَّتِي أَحْصَنَتْ فَرْجَهَا so, Maryam, the daughter of Imran, who guarded her chastity. And then the second one that I found was, actually in the surah beforehand, Surah Al-Anbiya, where it says, وَالَّتِي أَحْسَنَتْ فَرْجَهَا And that's referring back to her. Yeah. And أَحْسَنَتْ فَرْجَهَا is this whole idea of guarding your chastity. And even when um, the scholars talked about her, her virtues came from the fact that she was very pure yeah. and very chaste in terms of the fact that she, she not only guarded her modesty and her chastity and everything, yeah. but she... Through her actions as well. Yeah, through her actions, she like solidified it. You know, 
sorry, to cut you off, but you know I watched a video, yeah, and the sheikh was mentioning how. Oh no, it's actually the female. She was actually mentioning how um, whenever you see images, obviously we do not believe the images resemble Maryam. But whenever you see yeah. the images of Maryam, she's always covered. Okay, she's always modestly dressed. Yeah, yeah, and that actually goes back to Maryam, like how we know her as being modest, covering um, and showing like her chesty yeah. and everything like that. So I feel like that's a very good way to explain it. The as Christian well. imagery. Yeah. yeah. Is that why nuns wear veils? I think so. Do you think so? Yeah, for modesty. And it's because Mary dressed yeah. in that way. And actually Catholics as well, they wear like a scarf in church. Yeah. Because yeah, it's like respectful. And I thought that was really interesting because okay, obviously like we have to stop like stop using our own paradigms and using our own views of the world to yeah. look at things. But obviously we can't help it. But I feel like nowadays women get, like, praised for the one who's outgoing or she's, like, very brave in her own skin. Like, women who... Oh, 100%. Do you know what I mean? Very revealing. And it's like, oh, yeah, go Yeah, it's like, oh, go you. She's, oh, look at her. She's, like, defying stereotypes and blah, blah, blah. And, um... When it comes to us, we're oppressed. Yeah. And here she's being, like, elevated in her status and she's, like... Um, elevated above all the women of the world in another area as well yeah. because of like her characteristics of which were the fact that she was the one who guarded her chastity and I just think I just thought it was very like interesting and just like I found it unusual and then I had to like correct myself because I was like yeah. it's not unusual it's just because we live in a very weird world yeah. and we expect the opposite and um, you know she yeah. slightly reminds me a bit of Rothman Rodilahan Okay. he was also known to, like, be very um, shy and, like, um, cover his aura a lot. Like, even when yeah. the Prophet Sallam... I think it was, like, there was a hadith where the Prophet Sallam walked yes. in and he kind of, like, covered... No, Uthman walked in and the Prophet Sallam kind of covered himself properly because um, he felt shy in front of Uthman. Oh, wow. I'll try and find the hadith. But, yeah, so it, she kind of reminds me a bit of Uthman in that sense. I don't know. I think it's just bringing back the importance of modesty and shyness. Not in a way that you can't speak to people. No. But in a way where you're not you're not revealing everything. And revealing everything, I don't mean, like, just physically, but I mean even in the way you act. Yeah, it comes down to hijab is just not what you wear. It's not something that just covers your head. It's also, like, the way you show yourself. Like, the men, they have a, a form of hijab, yeah. too. So as Muslims, you have to conduct yourself in a certain manner yeah, as well. Yeah, that's part of your modesty. It's not just, yeah. I'm wearing this on my head, but I can do whatever I want. I can laugh however I want in public. It's a reminder to ourselves. Yeah, it is a reminder to ourselves, because sometimes we do be laughing a bit on here. <laughs> but the the whole point is that, like, part of your modesty is you just keep a part for yourself. Like, there's parts of your hair, whatever, that you don't show to people and people you don't know and people yeah. are in your family. But there's also parts of your personality. Mm-hmm that you don't show to people outside your home. And I actually think that's a very, like, when I looked at it that way, I was like, yeah. Because you know how everyone's like, oh, people don't deserve, like, your peace or your 100% if you don't know them and blah, blah, blah. That's I feel the like... same with your physical exactly. appearance. I feel like it stems back to modesty as well because people you don't know and people who are not close to you, they don't deserve 100% of your personality or entire access to what you look like yeah that's why i have to say that i think the whole niqab thing is very empowering because imagine like because i was um i don't wear it but i was wearing it um yeah for a while and i just i think it was just the most comfortable i've ever felt 
Really? Even though, like, we're in the West and at times, like, people like to give looks, I could be crying my eyes out. <laughs> I could be giggling. Yeah, nobody, making nobody faces knows what's nobody on my knows. face. And it's nobody knows who I am because I'm like completely anonymous as well. I don't know if that's an amazing thing about it. I liked it, but then obviously I'm trying to think like yeah. maybe some people won't like that. But you can literally, you're in a bubble. Yeah. And I feel like even when you wear like modest clothes and stuff like that, people just, they're forced to deal with what you give them. So in yeah. the hobbies, when you speak to them, you're only just trying to gauge what they're saying to you from their eyes. Yeah. And the same with like people who wear hijab, you can only gauge what they're saying from their faces i feel like it puts up a certain barrier as well for example i was watching this video today yeah. and it was showing like a woman who was dressed up and like walking in some kind of street yeah but obviously you have like the men turning around and then i think the same yeah. woman wearing like niqab hijab even if it's not niqab like walking down and it's like the men show more respect and they kind of continue on with their day yeah not all men are like or this. You're, yeah or you're practically impossible i mean some men will just go to Still, anything that moves yeah but the <laughs> summon okay but you know the whole thing of nobody knows like your body shape especially in a society where women are just sexualized let's be honest yeah but you no. know what i feel like they sexualize themselves as well they complain about it but then they're out here doing it to themselves yeah so. and i don't think it ever warrants it doesn't mean that you should get like harassed oh and no yeah and catcalled i'm just saying like as a yeah, disclaimer because yeah, yeah. i know you don't mean that but it's just you reclaim power based on what you put out and what you allow people to see a good way to put this is you know the way you are at work or at uni basically okay maybe not uni like professional front yeah and then you got your home front yeah it's just time and place the way you joke at home will not be the way you joke in a corporate environment because in the corporate environment you kind of got a job to do or these people you're only there because you work in the same place or you're just trying to make money money. yeah exactly but at home those people deserve your love your time your emotions and vice versa. And you're a bit more yourself at home as well. Yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree. So the last episode, we mentioned the hadith of Ali, radiallahu anh, when okay. he um, mentioned that he heard the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, say that Maryam is the best of women in her era. Mm-hmm. And it, the hadith continues to speak about Khadija being the best yeah, of women yeah. in her era too. So it's the fact that the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, mentions to the companions how Maryam was like the best of women. Yeah, and obviously she had that big impact of being the best of women because of how she was as mm-hmm. a person. Maryam's mother was not able to conceive because um, she was quite old as well, and so was mm-hmm. Imran. Mm-hmm. So they weren't able to conceive. And from what I read, Maryam's mother actually saw a bird. I think with her, her I don't know what you call baby bird, but a baby bird, chick, a chick. I thought that was for chickens. Mm, no, I think it's for but no. A chicken has chicks. Bird have no bird have chicks as well. I think. Okay, so um, Maryam's mother, I think, saw like this bird. Maybe what? it's chick thing. Sorry, <laughs> wherever it is, the little birdie. That's no, what I'm gonna call it. Chick. So baby bird and mummy bird. Yes. So she saw the baby bird and the mummy bird, mm-hmm. and that actually made her want a child even more. Seeing okay. the ba- baby bird and mummy bird, and this oh, is all going to be in the description. Cute. So she was obviously struggling to conceive and she decided to call upon Allah and basically say to him that whatever child I have, yeah, well, she obviously would have thought it was going to be a male, but whatever mm-hmm. child I have, um, I promise the child to you, Allah, and it's going to be acting upon you and the masjid, which was known as the Masjid al-Aqsa. 
So she made this promise to Allah and subhanAllah she was able to conceive. But not long after Imran passed away. Yeah. And you know in the talk I was listening to, basically Imran and Zakaria they were like the two imams. Yeah. Of Baitul Maqdis. It was Bani Israel at the time, right? Yes. And Bani Israel apparently they used to have like multiple prophets at a time, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So they were the two leaders of Islam and neither of them had kids. And so then part of the problem was who's going to take over afterwards lineage, yeah. and continue the lineage and spread Islam and keep reminding yeah. Bani Israel. And I actually go into this a bit later on. When Zakaria, Zakaria also calls upon Allah and he, the way he calls upon Allah is amazing. Because it's not, he's not thinking about himself. Yeah. He's thinking about Allah and who's going to be worshipping Allah once he's gone. We'll get to that a bit later on. So yeah, she made this promise to Allah that the child that I have is going to be dedicated to you. Ya Allah, and she, alhamdulillah, was able to conceive. Little did she know it was Maryam. So, as you said, she obviously, in her head, even though she doesn't explicitly say it, in her head she's thinking a boy. Yeah. Because Aisha radiallahu anha said that the Prophet told us that Bani Israel would forbid their places of worship for women. Yeah. So women weren't allowed to enter. And so, in Islam, obviously women can go to the masjid and everything. Yeah. So, because she'd kind of made a promise to Allah that I want to give whatever I have in my stomach to you, mm. she was already under the impression that it would be a boy. And then everybody was like celebrating and yeah. the whole place was very excited because they were like, oh, our imam is going to have a child. Yeah. And then, like you said, he passed away. And so then there was this worry of now we're going to have a widow on her own and, and an, an orphan, orphan child who's not going to have a father to raise them. And you can already tell from society, a society where it doesn't let women into the places of worship. And also back in the day, like... The importance of the male figure. I feel like it's yeah. still important now. But I think in them times as well, like you mentioned... It was like the safety, the... Like, women couldn't work. Yeah. Do you know women what I mean? were mostly at home. And I think if they were to give birth to a boy, they would be more with the father as well. I mean, I think it, even if it was a boy, the fact like the fact that there was no father at that point, it meant that who's going to provide, who's going to protect... It was like this for the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He was yeah, an orphan before he was even born. Yeah. But like you were mentioning today as well, you just have to put your trust in Allah. And that's what Hannah did. She just put her trust in Allah and Allah just leads the way and just gives. Mm. Do your part as well. Yeah. And so, you know, in Surah Ma'un, when they're talking about Quraysh and the fact that the chieftains of Quraysh would like refuse to help people. When they talk about how bad they were, it was the fact that they wouldn't even help the orphan. And the reason why is because the orphan is like the most lowest you can get in society, especially back then, because mm -hmm. the orphan didn't have a family to protect them in terms of like the father. Yeah. And on top of that, no they were kind of, yeah, yeah, they were, uh, they were pretty much fully alone in that sense. And yeah. that's why like Islamically, you're an orphan if it's your father. Yeah. If, you're, if it's your father who passes away, because obviously historically it was the father who carried the responsibility and stuff. So, Even until now, the fathers, I feel like, depending on what household well, you're in. traditionally they should. Yeah. But I think society makes it easier. I mean, here it does, but I feel mm. like even if we went back home, it'd be so difficult. Yeah, like, it would be. Because um, even back home, the men go out and work. The women, yes, here and there, but I feel like the men mostly go out and work. Yeah, in third world countries, it's still pretty much the same thing where women don't work. Yeah. And the men support the household and da da da. But in the West, obviously, it's a bit different, like that sense. Yeah. So obviously Mariam is born and she's her. <laughs> she's born as a girl. And her mum kind of goes through these like weird stages because yeah, she's like, emotions. yeah, because she's like upset, but she's not upset because she's a girl. She's upset because the promise she about, made. Yeah, yeah. She's thinking about her promise. But it's, it's really interesting because in the ayah she goes, um, so it says, 
فلما وضعتها so when she gave birth to her قالت ربي إني وضعتها أنت so then now you have the conversation between Hannah and Allah she goes my lord I've given birth to a girl and it's like almost out of like sadness and like kind of disappointment and then she kind of corrects herself because mm-hmm. it's about catching yourself and making sure that oh no but this is still a blessing yeah and this is something to be grateful for like how can I you be, be disappointed yeah yeah especially she, goes, she couldn't conceive as well so it was a blessing within exactly itself. so it was a double blessing in that sense and then she says wallahu a'lamu bima wadat and allah is aware of what i gave birth to so it's like internal dialogue yeah because she's like well allah knew and so she's kind of getting to the point where okay this is intentional mm. like this isn't an accident i didn't just give birth to a baby girl and now i can't follow through what I was saying. Yeah. Like, this is all meant to be this way. And then she says, well, they said unta, and like, the boy isn't like the girl because obviously that's what she was expecting. Yeah. Um, and I have named her Maryam. And I seek your protection for her and for her offspring from shaitan. And there's just so much to break down here. It's, yeah. It's honestly amazing. Because Go on. Sorry. Before you go into that, can I just go through the meaning of her name, Maryam? Yeah. Oh my God. Go so her name, Maryam, there's the way the mother as well came with the name Maryam, there's powerful meaning behind the name because it basically means the female servant of the Lord. So remember her promise beforehand oh, wow. that Maryam is go- whatever child she has is going to mm-hmm. be basically the female servant of the Lord. So when she came to the name, I'm calling her Maryam. Yeah. It's literally like the promise she gave to Allah. That she's going to be the female servant. It's like uh, Amatullah. It's like uh, the female version of Abdullah. Yeah. The servant of Allah. So, so yeah. So she's like affirming it that no, she will be. She's her, Basically her name resonates. And subhanAllah, Maryam does go to show that she um, resonates with her name. Like she yeah. grows up to show that what she was named, she becomes. Like the meaning of your name, I feel like you internalize it. And especially like if you're named after someone great, like you got a whole story to internalize. Yeah. Rather than just a meaning. Mm-hmm. I mean, boys are a bit luckier because there's like plethora of prophets. Yeah. I feel like, because you know, each prophet has their own like characteristic. Like Musa was strong and Ibrahim had vision and... Suleiman spoke to like the... the yeah, he spoke to the animals and he had a kingdom and wealth. Yeah. And Dawood was strong as well. Like all of them have their own characteristics and then... Like, I feel like when you're growing up, you can think, you know what? No, I was named after someone good. So I'm going to try and become what their characteristics were like. Exactly. I feel like that's just the best way to be, like, affected or influenced by a role model. Because yeah. you've already been named after that role model, if that makes sense. Yeah. Basically, try and hold up to what the name is, like, yeah. worth, basically. Yeah, I feel like having a good name is everything. And in this case, obviously, her mum named her, like, the worshipper in that sense. And... It's not it's like a very intentional, yeah. Because obviously she's praised later for her worship. Yeah, subhanAllah. Yeah. So coming back to the ayah then. Yeah, so she obviously is going through these mixed emotions, as we said. Mm-hmm. But she said, and then you said she named her intentionally Maryam yeah. because she's actually decided, no, you know what? Things didn't go as I planned in my head, but mm-hmm. this is intentional. This is Allah's plan. Yeah. I feel like when you have disappointment, I feel like we're not that quick. But I feel like this is a good example of being quick to catch yeah. yourself. You know how like Allah says, if you give thanks, I'll give more. And then the opposite is, mm-hmm. And it's not the opposite, but that's the rest of the ayah. And it's almost like, so if you give thanks, you're going to get more. Yeah. But if you disbelieve, it's like, 
saying that the opposite of having thanks is almost is like disbelief because Allah's given us so much and obviously being grateful is not just a good deed it's actually necessary to the believer I think that's something we need to include in our lives like just regularly just be thankful for every little thing we have and yeah. actually list it like last time you were speaking it was like you were saying did you mention really this on good... the podcast no we were just talking generally yeah we were saying like it's really good to pinpoint everything and kind of just mention it to Allah and be like I'm very grateful for this I'm very grateful for that I'm very grateful I'm just like listen and it actually makes you feel a type of way as well it makes the whole world look brighter yeah because I mean it doesn't matter how bad your situation is I promise you there's always a worse situation to be in say you're sat there and you're you've opened your hands out and you say Allah I've got I can't think of anything and I ask Allah that we never get to a point where we feel that way because that's on us actually yeah because there's always something like even the fact that you can sit there and you're living and breathing yeah like your soul is still in your body because you're you're able to you're able to comprehend you're able to think about it yeah there's a lot and at the very least you're thinking what can i ask allah about it do you know what i mean you've you're already like on the idea that allah is the person you should be speaking to about this it doesn't matter how far down you break it down if you tried to count the blessings of allah you wouldn't be able to like count them up yeah and if you really think about it it so is that you can go from from things that are big to things that are really small yeah and it would you'd be here all day and night and i do understand like when you have you're going through a hard situation it's really hard to, f- to look at all like the things you should be grateful for or you know like when people tell you oh there's people worse off mm. it's hard in the situation to think about these things allah has like a better plan for you yeah. or something might have happened in that scenario, I understand it's very, very difficult. But sometimes just having them reminders is good. Like, even if it's maybe a few days after, just try and remind yourself, look, there's worse going on. I have all of this. I'm grateful for all of this. And yes, Allah's probably saving me from something else and protecting me. Yeah. And inshallah, I will get something better. Yeah, and I think that's why it's also so important to look at people in worse off situations than you. Yeah. Because I know this whole society is all about like, capitalism and getting better and being richer and look at her she's got this car look at her it's she's competition got this it's a lot of competition yeah but the flip side is for you to be worrying about your money or the fact that she's got a car means you're actually not worrying about your food anymore and there are people who are worrying about that yeah oh wow do you know what i'm saying yeah i like that little analogy there <laughs> yeah i'm saying like if you're worrying about something just remember that you've actually already got something nailed that is a worry for someone else. Yeah. And a lot of the time, stuff we take for granted, like clean water, not so worrying about where things. your next meal's going to come from. Yeah. If you're at a point where you're able to think about dieting, even that's very privileged. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And stuff like that puts it into perspective, especially like as a Muslim, we're not here to drive the nicest car Biggest in the world. test is the dunya exactly and we need to pass this test inshallah to go to jannah i feel like we need to do an episode on like dua and gratitude i feel like that will be you know this episode will be a lot about dua and coming back to dua actually the last thing her the mother asks for so she says she kind of corrects her um herself and then she says she's planned ahead yeah she's like her and her whatever child she has which is actually also interesting because her mum struggled with infertility and then the first thing she says when she has a child is making dua that her child has a child subhanallah but then also she asks Allah to protect them Abu Huraira reported that um, the Prophet Sallallahu said that no child is born but he's pricked by the shaitan and the shaitan kind of says like you and I we've got a long journey ahead yeah. and you've 
it's it's like rite of passage, mm. and then the baby cries. Yeah. Um, so basically, as soon as the person gives birth to their child, yeah. that cry is when Shaytan like pricks them. Then the rest of the hadith says, except Isa and his mother. Subhanallah. That was because of Hannah's. You know du'a. what's crazy, is that Hannah made a du'a mm. for obviously her newborn child. Actually, before that, she made a du'a for her unborn child. Yeah. And this goes to show how important parents' du'as are. Yeah. Because she made du'a for her unborn child, and then she also makes du'a for her unborn grandchild it's vision yeah. like you're thinking ahead and subhanallah look at it it's being answered shaitan yeah. couldn't inflict both of them yeah like some people they might think about making dua for their children mm. but making dua for things to come is super important now like obviously the prophets they made dua for their progeny yes but we can do that too mm. making dua for the future generations for them to be strong on their iman as well imagine like our grand, like great, 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 great grandparents, like making dua for our generation now, like us lot, as in backwards. Yeah, as in like, let's say I don't know, for example, our grandma's grandma. Oh, actually making dua to Allah for us lot. Yeah, Allah knows. Yeah, we might, be, we might be. We might be walking like their dua's answered. Yeah, we always take like things for grant, uh, not granted. Yeah, it's yeah, for granted for granted when we have it. Yeah. When we don't have something, we, like, complain a lot. Yeah. And imagine, like, because I know if I look back, a few generations, the women weren't educated. No. Which is really sad, like, schools and stuff like that. Because obviously Mm. they had to struggle. And our parents had to struggle in many ways. Even Mm -hmm. if it's not just education, with education, without education, they had to struggle in many ways for us to be where we are at now. Yeah. So it's like showing your gratitude to Allah, to your parents, to Mm -hmm. family members, just everybody. Yeah, that's actually a good point. We really have no idea what du'as have been answered yeah. through even our, like us being born. And it's also the beauty of Islam, isn't it? Like, Allah has made it one of our rights to get education as women. Yeah, and even like the fact that we're talking about hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. Yes. She was educated. She would teach the men as well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? There's etiquette, obviously, but the point is that... And a lot women, of hadiths were, come from her as like, well. And female scholars in general, yeah. which we definitely need to talk about one day. Inshallah. So obviously her mum is adamant and she still wants to send her daughter to the sanctuary and basically... Fulfill her promise. Yeah, fulfill her promise and basically so she can grow up in the masjid and grow up around righteous company, mm-hmm. which is another whole offshoot because apart from the prophets, the easiest way or the most organic way to become righteous or raise someone righteous is by surrounding them yeah. by good influence. And... Her mom already had that in her mind. But the issue was, obviously... Her father passed away. Her father passed away and they don't allow women in the yeah. masjid. So they decided to then draw lots. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the opinions is that they had weeds, like these... Like rods. Yeah, kind of thing. They put it, like, in this river mm-hmm. um, with all the men that volunteered to look after... Yeah, and loads Maryam. volunteered because it was the love they had. Yeah, and it was also the fact that it was their imam's daughter yeah. who, like, Rahmah passed away. Yeah. So um, Zakaria was one of the brothers who were offering his help. Mm-hmm. So they let out the reeds or whatever it was. And his one was the only one that stayed afloat. Mm-hmm. So then the boy brings it back and says, oh, it's uh, Zakaria's. And then they asked them to do it again. Zakaria's one was found again. And the third time Zakaria's one was found again. Oh, wow. They did it three yeah, times. Yeah, three times. Because they, they said, let's do it again. So then that's how you know it's from Allah. It's not yeah. Coincidence. Yeah. So Zakaria took it upon himself to build her like this little, 
I don't know what you call it. Yeah, Sanitary, I was reading. Like... He, was, he was like a carpenter, so he made her a separate bit, like a room separate from but the still part of area. the mosque. So within the mosque. Yeah. My mom's friend actually went and she was showing me, and it's like you can see like little windows into the main area. Yeah, because she went to um, Masjid Al Aqsa, and there's a place there where they will say, "Oh, this is." The sanctuary of Maryam. I mean, Allah oh, knows wow. best, but it could be that they yeah. preserved it for the last or like kind 2,000 of... years. Or well, they could know. estimate where it was as well by all the No, but there's an actual thing that they say it is. Oh. Yeah. I mean, That'd it be amazing old, to see. But I don't... Like, obviously, Allah knows best yeah, because, yeah. like, over time, we don't know what happens. But it's Wait, like it wasn't a chamber. Like, it wasn't like an imprisonment kind of thing. It was just... He basically built it, it for secluded. her. Yes. For her to be more comfortable and, and it's a bit more free. And, and she's still part of the mosque. Yeah. If that makes sense. So she's still fulfilling the mom's yeah, promise. Yeah, so she's still in a place of worship, but there's obviously no women's section. Yeah. Because it's... Women weren't, and yeah. women weren't allowed in and stuff. And only her uncle would actually go to see her. So it was kind of protective in the sense that, like, no man could enter it and everything. Yeah. So Zakaria ended up building her that little chamber place. Mm-hmm. And it was mentioned how Allah accepted Maryam with gracious acceptance and made her grow in purity and beauty and entrusted her to the care of Zakaria. It wasn't just luck, it was the fact that it was Allah's will that the uncle Zakaria, who was also the prophet. Yeah. And even in the looked verse, after he, her. it starts with sorry. That's it okay. starts with Allah accepted her. He accepts her first and then he facilitates for her uncle to care for her. And it's and powerful whatnot. how obviously Allah put that down because obviously um Hannah, she was a bit worried. Mm-hmm. Not the fact that yeah, it was rightfully just... so. Yeah, and it's because she made that promise, isn't it? So I think Allah has just made her at ease by saying, look, I accept her. Mm-hmm. And do you know what this is reminding me of? Like, Hannah did her bit. And she left the rest to Allah. Yeah, part. like, because her heart was in the right place, Allah facilitated the rest for her to work out. Yeah. Because her intentions were in the right place. She wanted this child to grow up righteously. Mm. Um, bit of a span in the works that it was a girl. Unexpected. Okay. But actually, you know what? I'm going to call her Mariam and I'm still going to send her and Allah is like, best. yeah, I accept her, yeah, subhanAllah. And then obviously she was taken care of by Zakaria. Obviously Allah accepts her, but she does follow through with her name. You know, you have people who are their name. Yeah. And that also, yeah. I feel like it's a lesson for us to go back to the meaning of our names and try and like, especially if you're named after somebody, even if you're not, there's always a meaning behind a name. Yeah. So I feel like, especially when you're named after somebody, go back to like their characteristics and try and embody that islamically we're supposed to have good names right you're supposed to give your kids good names but whatever it is you're named after whether it be an attribute yeah or a person try to make that your goal in a way yeah like embody it the fact that you've been named after if we look at mariam herself you know i didn't know the meaning of mariam neither did i i didn't know it had a uh, meaning i just thought it was a really nice until i did research for this i was like whoa okay yeah it it does sound like a very nice name it is. But I just never knew the meaning. Yeah. SubhanAllah. I hope if you're Mariam, you know your name's meaning. You will, inshallah, these two episodes. Yeah, because that makes sense. It's not just a random... Like, I mean, because I feel like if you were called Mariam, then you'd probably be thinking, like, I'm named after Mariam. Yeah. So Mariam then becomes this worshipper. And when we say she's worshipping Allah and all the time, she really is. Like, every mm-hmm. time Zakaria Alayhisam would find her, she would actually be in worship. That's yes. the first thing. I know you'll come to the second bit. Yeah. But... He would find her in worship, like, constantly. Like, she wasn't just sitting there waiting or whatever. And so it kind of shows how she embraced her name in that sense. The angels actually came to her. There was a time when the angels came to her and they said, Oh, Mariam, Allah has chosen you and made you pure and chosen you above all the women of the world. In the last tafaki wa taharaki wa there's an emphasis on chosen. It's repeated. Mm. And then 
in the ayah following it goes ya maryam so the first bit is obviously, for me, it was um, building on her importance, right? Like, she's being told before everything happens that you are chosen, you're special, and there is, you're, you're virtuous for a reason, right? Yeah. And then the second one is kind of like practical advice. It's telling Maryam to remain like steadfast and devout to Allah and worship him. Hmm. And when I was looking at the tafsir, uh, it was tafsir Ibn Kathir and I think tafsir Tabari as well. Hmm. They say that this was like preparation. Because obviously we know the difficulty she goes through after yes. this. But the the preparation that your worship, the worship you do now, your acts of worship are going to get you through tests that are going to come. Because you will be tested. And obviously it links back to the whole thing of you're chosen, so you're going to be tested because yeah. all the best people are. Hmm. And so the fact that she's good and everything, it doesn't come without that side of it. Mm. Just a little sidetrack. Yeah. You know, just thinking about it, the fact that the prophets and like people like Maryam, mm. the way they were tested, it was to teach us lessons. So imagine what they must have gone through. Like, for example, Ayyub, he was tested with his wealth, his yeah. family, his children. And that was like a lesson. That story was a lesson for us. It's like their own individual tests but they are all lessons for us. It's just amazing, SubhanAllah. And just imagine, like, the intensity of the tests they're going through. Yeah. What they went through. You know what, actually, coming off what you said then, then that this advice, it's advice for us too. Mm. Like, obviously, we don't know how much we're going to be tested, but yeah. we do know that this life isn't going to be easy and we're all going to be tested. Yes. And if you're not getting tested, like, it's you a need to be worried. as well. Yeah. Yeah, oh my God. Because that means you're getting tested in the Day of Judgment. That is scary. That is, especially if you're sinning and your life is going easy. And it's just comfortable and you're just fine. <sighs> I'm sure we're warned about them people too. Yeah, it's um, it's called istidraj. It's a type of humiliation where Allah gives you and he makes your life easy. In this life, you have it easy. And then in the next life, you get it. Really hard. Yeah. You know what? It links back to the shukr because there's no way, like, if you're not worshipping Allah, you're not giving his His rights, you're not being grateful. Yeah. And so then the opposite is really going down disbelief and kufr because the Muslim isn't ungrateful to their creator. Like, you pray and everything. Do you know mm. what I mean? You know what? I listened to a talk once and I can't remember for the life of me who it was. But the Sheikh said that Allah won't give you ease in both lives. Yeah. He won't make this life easy for you and make the next life easy for you. Mm. And if he makes this life difficult for you and you deal with it correctly and you have patience, then you get your ease later on as a reward. Yeah. And it makes sense because anything good in life you have to work for. So if you, if the, uh, the Akhirah and Jannah is like the best thing, then of course you're going to have to work for that too. 100%. You can't get nothing easy. It's like a degree. If you want a good degree... You need to work for it. You can't just sit and just do nothing. And not, of course you're not going to get the degree. Yes. And obviously this is reminders to ourselves first and foremost. Yeah. So as you mentioned, whenever Zakaria would go and visit Maryam, she would always be in the state of ibadah. Mm-hmm. And he would always notice, and it was kind of weird, he found it very strange. She was always provided with sustenance. Yeah. And it was like food that was out of its season. And he did actually question Maryam and he asked her, like, Maryam, where, where is the sustenance coming from? Yeah, and it's not like Tesco and stuff from here. No. Allahu alam, his thought process could have been, maybe there's other people who are just dropping her off food. Yeah. 
But food out of season. But that was what was strange. Back in the day, that's is the fact me. that it was out of season, and they didn't have refrigerators or yeah, like like ways of like chemically making yeah. things ripen. And she actually replied and like told him, "This is from Allah. Surely Allah bestows substances upon whom He pleases without measure." And this is, I think that you're going to go into this, but this is um, kind of an indication and a little prompt to Zakaria Yeah. Because she knew and she was implying, ask Allah because she knew he wanted a child. Yeah. And he, she was implying to him, you should go and ask Allah. So she was like a big inspiration for her uncle. Mm. And he actually took on her advice, even though it might have been uh, like not, it, the advice might have not been like really direct. Yeah. But he took on her advice and went to like the corner of Al-Aqsa. Mm-hmm. And he called upon Allah with like, he shouted upon him with a type of shout that only Allah could hear. So yeah. in a way he was calling upon him quite, I don't know how you can take this. I have a very like loudly, but only Allah could hear how loud his prayers were. As in it was like the severity of his. No one else could hear the like, the pain and yeah, probably the yeah. want. Yeah. And the actual want. He does actually call upon Allah and he he like calls upon him and says, I know I am old. So he's taking like accountability for something that may seem impossible. So he's like, I know I am old and like he, he has grey hair. Yeah. He's he feels like he like has, he's not under delusions of this. Yeah, that he's he's quite old and he um old on the inside and outside. Mm. And he goes, I do not know where to start. So he doesn't know like where to where to start with the conversation with Allah. You know, Allah's shy as well. So his servants calling upon him and telling him like he doesn't know where to start. And he goes, I recognize what I'm about to ask you is improbable in terms of like the circumstances. Mm-hmm. So he knows like it's not impossible for Allah, but it seems impossible generally. Yeah. And he was a 90 year old man as well. Oh, wow. So he was very, very old. And he says to Allah, I am calling out to you and I have never made a dua to you and have been deprived. So now he's acknowledging Whenever he prays to Allah, he's never been deprived of the dua he's asked for. And this is just coming back to the gratitude in the statement of Mariam when she says to him, Allah gives to who he wants without measure. Firstly, it's like affirming that Allah has literally all the power to make everything happen for you if you ask him for it. Yeah. And then the fact that he also says that I've never been disappointed in a dua. It's like acknowledging Allah. For the power he has. Acknowledging well. and being like grateful. so grateful for it. I feel like it was also in a way, Allah knows best, but maybe it was in a way, you know, like how Hannah was also speaking to herself. Mm. It might have been a way also for him speaking to himself like when he was calling upon Allah and he was saying, like, I don't know where to start. Yeah. But then it's like he's kind of saying, but I've never been disappointed by Allah. Whenever These I've people called on upon another Allah. level, man. It is, panel. I feel like we need to take lessons on how to make dua, like the way they've made yeah. dua. You know, especially the fact that you're 90 years old, you weren't able to have kids when you're young. Now you're old, it's it even mentions, worse. Yeah. But the fact that you've never been disappointed in a du'a at all, like, I just think that's such a beautiful way to preface your next du'a yeah. as well. And you're acknowledging it. You know and how Allah says, I am it. as the servant sees me. Yeah. So if you have, like, a bad opinion of Allah, like, in the sense that you're like, oh, Y'all are giving me a million pounds. <laughs> oh, I'm back with this like du'a again. This du'a wasn't yeah. answered. He's like dragging not... your feet. Then you're not having the best hopes. Yeah. You, you never lose out by making no. du'a. Like, firstly, we have to make du'a. Yeah. But secondly, you never lose out. I think we mentioned this in the previous episode. We definitely episode. mentioned the three ways. Like the if three you look back to one of our episodes, you'll see the three yeah. ways your du'as are answered. But you never lose out by making du'a. Yeah. And he's saying, not only have I never lost out, but actually my du'as themselves have never been disappointing. Yeah. 
like the outcomes. Yeah, sorry. Subhanallah, it's crazy. No, it's fine. Um, and then he does continue to say, like, I'm worried about the descendants. So now after saying, like, my du'as have never been, like, basically failed. I've, mm-hmm. It's never been failed. He goes on to, like, reasoning of why he's asking. And you remember we talked about this, I think, uh, in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just previously. The we vision. Talked, we talked about how the prophets, whenever they ask for, like, a lineage, mm-hmm. it's not really for them. It's to leave somebody to teach the ummah and yeah. to leave somebody to worship Allah. Yeah. So it's calling for Allah saying, I'm worried that people won't worship you because I have no one to mm. leave the legacy. And obviously, Maryam, salam, she's female, so they, yeah. she won't be able to like be a be prophet. Be the prophet, and yes. And whatever. Yeah. Um, and he goes into saying, like, even when they were young, his wife was unable to um, conceive and also like hold the baby. So she had issues That's beforehand. Sad. And she wasn't able to give birth. Then he goes, but yeah, Allah, grant me a successor who can carry on this mission. So now he's going into grant me. So he's now asking, be more yeah. specific with his dua. Let him inherit from me and inherit from the family of Ya'qub. And the family of Ya'qub are known as Bani Israel. Mm-hmm. He's basically asking for the good qualities that the Bani Israel had. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to say, let him be pleasing to you. I just find it amazing. Like the way he started this dua and then yeah. how he starts speaking about what he wants, but then also showing Allah like, it's not for myself. Somebody to leave the legacy. Yeah. And somebody... So there's people to worship you. Yeah. To bring in the worry. And like you mentioned, the prophets had this worry. You know what else that's really interesting about this is... You know how we said that it's not like he's, oh, ya Allah, I'm with this du'a again. But the way he still approaches is with familiarity because yeah. it's like, Allah, you know I'm old, you know the situation, and you know I wasn't able to have children. Yeah. But obviously this has been sparked a little bit by what Maryam said to him. Yeah. And then now he gets and then he gets into his du'a and he gets into the reasoning and everything. And I just think it's it's so beautiful so how the request comes kind of like later on in the du'a because I think yeah. they're very quick. And also 100%. the fact that he says that I've never been disappointed in a du'a. It's like he's acknowledging Allah for yeah. who Allah is. I feel like it's and like the power that he yeah. has. Yeah. It's like you know when you when you first make a dua, you should call upon Allah by His names. Yeah, it's sort of like that. So he's like saying to Allah, "Look, I've never been disappointed. You've like basically given to me, and just like that, it's like calling upon Allah's names." So I feel like it, like I mentioned, we should go into the etiquette of making yeah, dua. Yeah, making yeah, yeah. So he was actually in the middle of making the dua, mm-hmm. and angels come down and say, "Oh Zakaria, Allah has a message for you. I give you the glad tidings of a child." So he's in the middle of making the du'a for him to have a child I'm sure, I'm at the age of 90 years old. And it doesn't only stop there. He was already named by Allah. Allah named his child Yahya. Wow. And the name has never been given to anybody else. And it was mentioned by the angels that Yahya would have the best of qualities. Wow. So he didn't even ask Allah for all the qu- good qualities. He didn't even get to the fact that... The yeah. specific qualities or anything. It was already given. The name? Yeah, and so the last point that I just wanted to touch up on before we wrap up this uh, episode is the prophetic vision. Like, you know how we were saying that we just need to learn from the way they made dua? Yeah. Who better to learn from than the prophets? But I just want to talk about two. So the first is obviously continuing from what you said. So the dua of Prophet Zakaria alayhi salam. So he said, Rabbi la tadharani farzan wa anta khayrul warithin. So he said, oh, my Lord, don't leave me alone, as in without an heir. And you are the best of inheritors. So that's in Surah Anbiya. And it's he doesn't want to be left alone in terms of we know it's not just for his own sake because most yeah. of his life is past or whatever. Yeah. It's for 
in terms of alone in the message of spreading like the name of Islam yeah. and everything. It's quite selfless as well. It, to think about it really is. The rest of the ummah that was left, like to think about who is going to be leading them. Yeah. Not just to worship Allah, but who's going to guide them. And the were like this. Exactly. Yes, they power. worried about the ummah yeah. and the people who came after them. And then he said, um, And honestly, I think this is a dua that everyone can make. Yeah. Even if you've already had your kids. Because we don't know what they'll grow up to be. But yeah. even if you're not having kids in the near future, I think it's a really important dua to make generally. Even if they're means... grown, I feel like you can still make dua. Yeah. Because it means, my Lord, grant me from yourself a good offspring. Indeed, you are the hero of supplication. Because he knows that Allah listens to his du'as and obviously then he is granted the good mm. offspring anyways. And may Allah give us all a good offspring I mean, because I, mean. I feel like a bad offspring is one of the biggest tests, to be yeah. honest. But the other one was the du'a of Ibrahim salam. He was a man of vision. And there's a reason why he's the father of the prophets and he's like Khalilullah. He's like Allah's friend because he actually... He spent a lot of his life like alone in terms of without a child. I think he had Ismail Islam in his early 80s and then Ishaq in his late 80s or something like that. SubhanAllah, like looking back, it seems like a few of the prophets did really have their children quite old. Allah gave them to them in terms of when they ne- when they needed someone to continue the yeah. legacy. Like he'd already spent his life establishing a legacy. And so... With and that's it- probably, sorry, that's oh. probably like the hikmah of what Allah was seeing as well like let Ibrahim put down his legacy put down what he's basically teaching so then when his child comes he can implement it and help with what was already left in a way but you know what because Ibrahim and Islam he he like he traveled a lot but he himself is actually described as an ummah himself in that Ibrahim so there's two ayahs in the Quran that start in very similar ways save for one Bit. So, um, just the first few words. So, if you were to like look up Balada and Baladan. Mm. So, these are both du'as of Ibrahim mm-hmm. But the difference is, the first one is when he says, So, So, that basically means, oh Allah, make this land um, a peaceful place. And then he asks Allah to bestow it with fruits and mm-hmm. vegetation and make it a place where people come to. And this was before... Look at Mecca now. Exactly. This was Mecca. But this was when he's left his, his child and his wife there. Yeah. And there's nothing there. There's not even the well. The Zamzam hasn't come yet. Yeah. There is nothing there. And he makes dua that Allah makes this a place of sustenance. Yes. And then the second dua is when Mecca is now a place of the Kaaba. He built that with his son. Yeah. And the Zamzam is there. And there are people there. And a whole society is like established there. It's like a hub, basically, now. Exactly. But the second dua is making dua that this is a place of worship and people worship you, Ya Allah, no matter what happens. Honestly, the power of dua and is ima- amazing. Both of those, like, I feel like everything off that point is an answer of that dua of Ibrahim alayhi The Prophet sallam, the fact that the ummah and everything is established there, the fact that if you go there today, even in COVID times, there were birds making tawaf around the Kaaba yeah. and the fact that that is the one never left place. exactly it's just it's one of those crazy things to me and no one had vision like the prophets and like one of the sheikhs that I listened to he was saying that when you give sadaqah don't just give it for yourself give it, give it for your family then give it for your friends 
change your intention on behalf of all the Muslims and imagine the rewards that all the Muslims get on behalf of your sadaqah and the rewards you get because you gave sadaqah on their behalf yeah that's what I wanted to wrap up on I actually really enjoyed this episode Me I too. I enjoyed like all of it but I feel like this one I don't know I think this just... came at a good time for us both <laughs> just personally because I needed the reminder especially with the dua stuff yeah. and the vision yeah i mean obviously there's individual stuff you can learn about like yeah. the dua parents uh the dua that parents make for their kids i don't know about you but i'm gonna be asking my mom to be making, yeah you know what if you don't already and you have parents who are alive or even one parent who's alive yeah all your grandparents or your great-grandparents ask them to make dua for you because there's something else in those guys i think i'm gonna become a pest <laughs> i feel like you know doing this it like you hear about the story of Maryam, you hear about the story mm. of like Khadija or Fatima, you hear these stories, but actually like diving into it and obviously because when we're speaking about it, it's kind of like we're teaching, but mm. we're also teaching ourselves. I feel 100%. like we learn so much things that we probably didn't even realise before. Like for example, the whole dua and like how Maryam actually influenced her uncle Zakaria yeah. like all of that, them little things and now like how it's influenced like you've said, you, and it's also influenced me, like, when you ask for something, be specific, but not just for yourself, for your future, and for, like, the future kids, for the future grandkids, for the ummah, like, it's just... Yeah, there's actually opening. no, there's no limit on what there's you can no ask limit. Allah for. There's only a limit once you put a limit. Yeah, I mean, obviously don't ask for weird stuff, like, can I fly, or whatever. I mean, you can fly you in Jannah. You never know, Jannah might come. Yeah, you, you can fly. fly in Jannah, but as in, when you make dua for, like, good, righteous kids for yourself, why just yeah. make it for yourself? Make it for your family, make it for yeah, your friends, your siblings, make it for the next generation of this ummah is even stronger than the last one. And that and your like children are like those who liberate the Al-Aqsa itself yeah, as like well. Steadfast. Because we can't mention Al-Aqsa as well and not talk about the fact that the situation there is awful right yeah. now. It's very eye-opening. Yeah. I think I'm going to go back today yeah. and start the pestering. <laughs> start the pestering and whenever you have an idea for a dua that you want to make yourself. I feel like I might need to stop noting it down. So Note it down and focus on it. And anymore. think about who else you can make that same dua for. Yeah. And remember when you make dua for someone else, the angels say Amin. With that being said, inshallah the next episode we're gonna do the continuation of Maryam bint Imran. And that's about it. So stay tuned. Asalaamu alaikum.